2: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Robin McCarron. He is sounding off, drunk, in the middle of the road, in a snowstorm, wherever he is. Jeff Hawkins.
3: They mm-hmm. give them a big middle finger!
2: <laughs> You're listening to... Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins.
3: I honestly would have rather gotten a DUI tonight. Wow.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shake Them Ropes. It is episode we are no longer counting. It is Sunday, August 23rd, 2015. Rob McCarron here, Jeff Hawkins with us as usual back in Los Angeles, Jeff, how are you tonight?
0: I'm doing all right. Good. Getting good grades. Future so bright, I have to wear shades. Let's um, just go.
2: Yeah, okay. Let's just
0: go. Uh, we are
2: here tonight to talk about WWE SummerSlam that has just finished, and we are joined by an esteemed guest. a uh, One of our uh, more entertaining guests that we've had on the show, and one of our more popular guests. It is at Dylan Waco on Twitter. Dylan Hales is here to talk about SummerSlam. Dylan, hello.
1: Hey, how are you? Who's the esteemed guest?
2: The esteemed guest is myself, of course. <laughs> okay. I am the esteemed guest. I am. Yeah. I'm right. Uh, you are wrong. That's me. I,
0: I'm more esteemed than esteemed, but
1: I, yes. you guys,
2: man, Dylan, it is. I should a, be. Go ahead. I
1: should be introduced as the G1 Pick'em winner, by the way. The voices <laughs> of wrestling G1 Pick'em winner, the New Japan expert, the the man whose opinions on New Japan are now scientific fact. Tested by the scientific method. That's how I should be introduced from here on out, Rob. I just want that to be known. Between you and
0: Lanza, these intros are going to get out of control. (laughs) You are the internationally
2: acclaimed Grand Prix (laughs) prognosticator, Dylan Hales. Uh, You can follow him at Dylan Waco on Twitter, Wrestling Culture, the podcast, uh, as well as other things. Uh, Briefly, before we get into the SummerSlam, Dylan, tell us about what you're doing, uh, doing here in the future.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, well, I've actually got a few things lined up for the future. I've got a few uh, column ideas for VoicesWrestling.com, probably related to Southern Independent Wrestling, which is sort of my new beat for that website. Uh, Dave Musgrave and I are going to be recording a new episode of Wrestling Culture this week. I don't want to publicly say what the, uh, the topic will be because uh, uh, it depends a little bit on a, a potential guest getting back to us. But uh, that can be found over at the Place to Be Nation, and uh, also we'll be doing—I'll uh, be doing a new trademarks with Bix pretty soon, also at VoicesOfWrestling.com. But really, just follow me on Twitter. I'm obnoxious and and sometimes entertaining, and often oftentimes loathsome. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, just follow me on Twitter at Dylan Waco.
2: Follow me on Twitter at Dylan Waco. I want to start the show before we get into match by match here on the SummerSlam event. I want the hot takes, folks. I want. Each of your reasons why this undoubtable truth that I'm about to say is true. SummerSlam was a better show than TakeOver. Dylan, you can go first.
0: Um, well, SummerSlam
1: <laughs> was, was not a better show than TakeOver.
2: I, I should preface this. Uh, let me Let me preface before you explain why not. Um, Let me preface by saying that I am of the opinion, and we'll explain why as we go through here, that SummerSlam overall was a better show. And this is not a knock on NXT TakeOver. This is not a down uh, playing of the TakeOver show from Saturday night that was on WWE Network. TakeOver was a really fun show. I just thought there was more on this show in the positive column uh, than there was on TakeOver. Overall, I think WWE had a fantastic weekend. Uh, But Dylan, why am I wrong?
1: Well, I I will say this. There was probably more good on this on on SummerSlam in the sense of I think every match was at least watchable, which we'll get to in in more details. We go through this. Uh, Most of them, I would say, were good or better. Uh, I would say most of them either met expectations or exceeded expectations. The problem is, I think the bad stuff on SummerSlam was vastly worse than anything on on TakeOver, like not even close, Mm -hmm. like by such a massive scale. That it's impossible for me to say that SummerSlam was a better show. Which, by the way, up until um I, I will say up until maybe ninety minutes left in the show, I, I you maybe could have convinced me that was the case. I also don't think this, this that SummerSlam had anything on the show that was even in the same universe as, as Bailey and Sasha Banks. But
2: and, and I would agree with that point too, and I, I'm right there with you on the timeline too, because I, I started to begin thinking that this show was You know, overall better than TakeOver with about two hours to 90 minutes left because of thinking what we'd already seen and what's still about to come. Uh, But before we get into this card, Jeff, I want you to let me know what your thoughts are. What show did you enjoy more? And would you agree with Dylan that, you know, the good outweighed the bad on SummerSlam as far as uh, in comparison to TakeOver? What did you just enjoy more?
0: I I enjoyed TakeOver more, uh, but I think my reasoning is probably a little different than both of yours. If we had the entire four hours of TakeOver, perhaps my thoughts would be different, and we'll see on Wednesday or so how that goes. But as a major show, which SummerSlam and TakeOver both are, which you're building your weekly television to week after week to have some finality and feuds and then to kind of reset and move on, SummerSlam did very little for for me in that regard. And, you know, I think the crowd had a lot to do with it. I think NXT TakeOver didn't overstay its welcome. And I think SummerSlam kind of did with the extra hour here. Um, and just as a major pay-per-view, it did not fulfill its job. It was It's setting up for other things. Things down the road as opposed to having some finality to it, which is what I enjoyed more about nxc TakeOver personally.
2: Dylan, is it even fair to compare the two shows because we had a four hour WWE star driven pay per view here versus a two hour, what is still a developmental show?
1: Well, first of all, uh, TakeOver was more than two hours. Yeah, you know, uh, it ended up being about 220. Yeah. Yeah. And by by a reasonable enough amount of time where I, I don't, don't think you could even call it really a two hour show.
2: Right. Yeah. The, it went uh, about two and a half
1: yeah so so that's one thing to keep in mind but i don't i really don't see anything any problem comparing the two in the sense that they're both big time WWE events they're both really presented as uniquely special events because yeah. the first time in a long time SummerSlam has been treated as this big a deal let's be honest maybe ever with the four hour thing and whatnot and then the bringing in celebrities and all this other stuff and and, and with takeover this is easily the biggest nxt event. i mean that's not even debatable right so they're both I, I feel like uniquely special events i see no i mean yes it is a little unfair in the sense that you're talking about a re- pretty large time difference but i don't think it's such a long t- large difference in you know uh, uh volume or whatever the hell term you want to use that you can't compare them uh there's no reason you can you can't compare these two events it's not as if uh, you're comparing an hour-long TV show to a to a full event or something like that. You're you're comparing two special events on the network that, that were built to in in some ways in similar ways, uh, and I think it's entirely fair to to look at them head to head and and kind of make a calculation about what you think is is better or worse.
2: I I will agree with the large majority opinion that you know as far as one thing on both shows, Bailey and Sasha Banks was in my opinion, the best match of the weekend. It was the most entertaining thing to see. And if you were only going to pick one thing of both shows to go out and look for, not just whether it's match quality, whether it's importance, whether it's just entertainment value, I would pick Sasha and Bailey too. I'm not comparing one match versus the best match in SummerSlam. I just want to make that clear. I'm comparing show uh, show versus show. And hopefully throughout the show, I make uh, I try to do the best I can making my case for it, uh, but we will start on SummerSlam here talking about Randy Orton and Sheamus, the opener that a lot of people on the Twitter were uh, were kind of bashing before it even began, just because this is a match we've seen a lot of lately. Uh, our guest, Dylan, we will start with you. Your thoughts when this was coming out as the opener of SummerSlam, what would you think about Randy Orton versus Sheamus?
1: Odd choice to start the show. I, I think it's very fair to say, especially in front of a, a I hate the term smark, but a hardcore fan crowd like they knew they were going to have in Brooklyn. I mean, I don't think there's any matchup that has been more routinely rejected <laughs> by the hardcore fan base than, than Sheamus versus Randy Orton. But I will say this, I think one thing that this match showed once it got started was that those fans, uh, you know, who who refuse to pop for people if they've never cut a cartwheel in PWG or, or you know, had a <laughs> near fallathon somewhere, uh, will quickly forget about who they're supposed to hate if you do enough cool things to sort of grab them. So I and, and I think this match really actually succeeded as an opener in a way that you really have to give these guys credit for because they really did not have the advantage of being. Fan favorites. Neither one of them did in front of that crowd, and uh, I think they really delivered. I think you know I think the the early mic work from Sheamus was a smart decision because it sort of uh, set the set the table for the fan involvement to actually be a net plus rather than a complete rejection of. And uh, the match was good. You know they did some creative spots. I, I liked the spot with the corner DDT, the way they built to it. I thought the finish with the the double bro kicks was really good. Uh, the the blood I think added to the match. I thought it was a really good opener, not a match of the year or anything close to that level, but a a surprisingly good opener. Well, you know, I shouldn't even say that because I think Sheamus is really good, but a surprisingly good opener in the sense that I could have easily seen this match being completely dumped on by that crowd.
2: Yeah. Randy Orton certainly looked like he turned him around and he didn't let the uh, negative reaction get to him too much, which sometimes he does. Uh, Jeff, you and I, right as the show was about to start, we were trying, we were talking on Twitter back and forth, like what would be the opener of this one? And I thought the tag team, uh, match might be the opener, which ended up being the second match. I think you had thought Cesaro and Owens would be the opener if I'm uh, Mm -hmm. not mistaken. Um, but when these two came out, like what were your overall thoughts at the end of this one?
0: The end of this one, it's probably the most enjoyable Orton Sheamus match I've watched. Um, I, I kind of take a little bit of issue with Dylan's assessment that this was a smarky crowd. Because if this were a smarky crowd, they would have been all over that Owen Cesaro match later in the show. I think it was yeah. about 50, I think it was about fifty fifty. You know, you had your pockets of your smarky fans, but you had a lot of your casuals, your families, your people who didn't even watch the NXT show last night, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so I thought this was kind of a a safe choice for an opener, even though they don't work in opening style. I was when I saw them come out, I go, okay, what's what's Orton going to pull out of the hat here? but I was pleasantly surprised with this match. I I usually tune out for Orton and Sheamus, to be honest with you. I agree. I think the blood actually added some drama to this match, even though it looked like Orton wasn't terribly happy about getting cut open in the (laughs) middle of that match. But overall, in terms of... uh, And, and of course, it got my brain thinking, okay, so they're putting them out here er this early. Does this mean we're going to see Sheamus later, which you always think about? But then Sheamus won, which was also completely surprising to me. I thought they would have at least, you know, in the opening match, you know, had the guy that the crowd likes win. That's usually the way it goes for opening matches. But I mean, usually
2: do you think there's anything to the fact that they put this one on the opener? Because and I think I've seen this on WWE shows before is they knew what kind of crowd they might have had there in Brooklyn and they knew the only shot for Sheamus and Orton to kind of succeed crowd reaction wise was if they go first to possibly get the best reaction they could possibly have. Like if they were going to put them in the Cesaro, Kevin Owens slot, it could have been a disaster for these two. Is there anything to that Dylan?
1: Uh, maybe, you know, I
2: Dylan, hold on a second. We're, we're losing you a little bit and I want to, I want to make sure everyone can hear that because I, oh. I, I think sometimes in WWE land, like that's what we see is, uh, I mean, we see kind of, you know, them place matches in certain spots, knowing what type of reaction they might get, like they're hedging. Like they need to do this Randy Orton-Sheamus match, but they don't know exactly what kind of reaction they might
0: well, get. Well, see, that, that's two different things, though, that you're, that you're saying. See, I agree with the thought that they put this out here as a litmus test to see what kind of crowd they had, uh-huh. possibly, but I don't think they did it because the crowd would necessarily crap on it. or or they thought that this was the only place they could put it. I think they put it out there to see, okay, what kind of crowd do we have here tonight, even though I don't think any of the booking plans changed later on. So I I think it was a perfectly good place to put Owens and Sheamus. I find it interesting that I think now it's the beginning of the build for Sheamus as legitimate number one contender, given the events of the past couple weeks on Raw. Mm Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I don't I don't have any problem with the placement of the match. I found it interesting though. I thought it would be dead middle of the ma- dead middle of the card to be honest with you. All right. We are back
2: with uh Dylan. I wanted to get you uh we were losing you there a little bit. I wanted to get your thoughts here. Uh like we said about match placement, how it corresponds to what they might have thought the reaction might have been for Seamus Horton. Uh so you were going on with that.
1: Well, I just I don't know that it's that calculated. I mean it could be. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that, it's, that 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 it's that calculated. It also could be that the WWE is just incredibly stubborn, and I think there's a lot of evidence <laughs> from this show to support the theory that they just do whatever they feel like and they don't really care. So um, it could be that that it was sort of a calculated decision to sort of play with the expectations of the crowd, or, or you know. But I I don't I don't really know if I believe that. I, I do think the logical opener probably was the the match that followed the mm-hmm. the actual opener, but um, I don't know if they really put as much thought into that sort of thing as they should.
2: All right, we're we're gonna move on here because we had lost uh, Dylan, but he is back now via telephone because you know technology. Um, we're gonna go on to the tag title match, which some of us thought might have been the opener, which may have. Uh, I mean, Dylan was kind of starting to say there that this might have uh, or should have been the opening match of the night. But at the end of the day, the New Day have won the tag team championships again. And boy, oh boy, Jeff, was their celebration kind of legendary uh, as far as tag team wins go in the recent memory.
0: Oh, not only that, New Day, best on interviews, just on the basis of that (laughs) opening, just on the basis of that opening promo. They were great all night here. Um. (laughs) It's odd, but you know the one thing I took from this match has nothing to do with any team of any relevance in here was that I like, got how far Callisto's stock has fallen here. Would you I mean I mean I don't even know
2: did he have much stock coming in? He was him and Sin Cara, They had that one night uh, at the post Mania Raw where they were kind of in, a big deal. But
0: I mean, even pre Lucha Dragons, I mean, everybody was so excited they thought this guy was going to be a huge star, and he's almost an afterthought on the Lucha Dragons. Even, I mean, he had he had the great stuff with Big E tonight. Uh, make well, this guy solo. He, he,
2: he came sake. in, he came in with a lot of notoriety and he came in looking like, uh, you know, he was kind of jacked and then he comes into WWE where you have the drug policy and all that. And all of a sudden he softens out big time and he's standing next to a bunch of giants and the height there comes more into play. Well, um, that
0: and I also, I also think the elimination chamber spots that they had planned that didn't go as planned really put a, black mark in his folder.
2: Dylan, Jeff is nominating the New Day for Best on Interviews. Is it possible that Xavier Woods now qualifies for Manager of the Year also?
3: I think he does. Uh, I mean, I guess this is kind of a tough one because I remember last year, like I thought, I guess it was last year, I thought Rockstar Spud was like really good for what he did in TNA. And people were like, oh no, he had two matches. Like, come on. Like, he, he basically was a manager. And Xavier Woods is even better than Rockstar Spud was. And yes, he wrestles maybe a little bit more, but he's effectively a manager. That's what he does. That's the function that he serves. That's his role in the unit. Um, this is not really a, like, three birds thing. I, I guess it nominally is to the extent that they do wrestle as trios uh, semi-regularly, but his primary function with that group is as a manager. And he's, an ex- he's a super entertaining manager. He's excellent in the role. Uh, him talking about the the the, the their uh, dietary rituals <laughs> was one of the was was one of the highlights of a uh, of a match. I thought this was the match of the night. By the way, this was my favorite match of the night. Um, uh, which you know, to me, um, part part of the reason I thought this was so good is that it hit all the elements of a four way without getting so far out there that it that it you know didn't go too long. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't completely devoid of the things that you want in a tag team match, like for example the awesome hot tag that we got from, from, Darren, uh, from Darren Young to Titus O'Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it still delivered all the crazy spots that you want out of a four-way match. So you got both. You got the sort of tag team structure that I think is critical to a tag team wrestling match, combined with the crazy, insane. I mean, that strangest stuff at the end of this match was absolutely ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. you, like there was like a sequence of spots where four or five guys looked like their career just ended, <laughs> <laughs> like in a row, in a span of like maybe forty-five to fifty seconds, in,
0: including um, Torito. So <laughs>
3: yes, I and I don't know what Sin Carl was doing. He just dove into nothing. I I guess that he was supposed to eat a drop kick, which is even crazier than what actually happened. But uh, yeah, this was to me the best match of the night. I thought it. I thought everybody in it looked good. The the New Day's pre-match was great. The post-match was great. The particulars of... I thought everybody in the match looked at least good. And I thought the particulars uh, of, of the guys that you really... That uh, sort of stand out from the bunch, which to me are Titus O'Neil and, and the New Day guys themselves, were exactly what you would want out of them. Um, I, I really loved it. I thought it was a great match.
2: Yeah, I thought it was... Uh, I mean, it might have been my favorite match of the night, too, from start to finish and yeah. everything that surrounded it. Um, Mm -hmm. I particularly love when Big E went for the spear through the ropes on, I think it was Darren Young. It was. I mean, that was insane. Like the finishing stretch. You're absolutely right. The pre-match banter with the new day, getting themselves over. I mean, talk about guys who came in cold, cold, on one SmackDown in November uh, when no one knew what exactly they might be. And then it was this corny, campy kind of just church gospel, you know, trio who were just together for whatever reason to now where crowds in New York city are popping for them as this big deal. Cause they're highly entertaining and they're just going with it. Um, they've probably done more for themselves. I and mean, we talk about the next match in the card, like new day went from last year to now uh, in a complete 180 from what Rusev has done. From last year to well,
0: now. Okay. Well, but but I mean, but the New Day did this the same way Rusev did, turning chicken crap into chicken salad. I mean, because this this was a go-nowhere gimmick, and then they took a chance on doing things that eventually got them over, which was the same thing pretty much Rusev was doing. I mean, Rusev had an 80s heel cartoony gimmick and he was doing little things in it to get himself over.
2: He did it though. He did it. He got to the top of the mountain, but now look where he is now uh, from a year ago. I mean, he's nowhere anywhere close. Like Dylan, the, the fall of Rusev is something we've been tracking on shake them ropes ever since WrestleMania and the feud started with Cena. I mean, is Rusev done to you or can this program with Dolph, if it actually goes somewhere, maybe rehab him a little bit.
3: Well, I can't say he's done to me, and I do I do agree with my my comrade uh, Chris Zellner, who you know has, has made the point that Murshaf has done well in this role, in the sense that his performances have generally been pretty entertaining. But there's no question that he's fallen. You know, you you can he, somebody can do well in a role and still clearly have fallen from grace. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's what's happened here. Um, you know, he's not. I, I don't. I can't say he's a lost cause because the problem is if you say he's a lost cause, you pretty much have to say everybody in the WWE is a lost cause other than maybe CNN Rollins. because everybody is in this situation. <laughs> They've got a roster full of guys that are just sort of hovering at a level where they win and they lose and nothing really matters. And, and you know, I, I, I feel bad for him in one sense, but in another sense I don't feel like he – as bad for him as maybe I do for some other people who have collapsed to this degree, only because as long as he is in a feud that is on TV with Vince McMahon's favorite Lana, I I don't think he's completely beyond uh, reconstruction. Having said that, the direction that he is currently going is I don't think there's any argument. I don't think he can be to into positive. I just don't. He, he's not. Um, he's so far from where he was that it. I mean, he, he's so far from where he was that he had a double count out on tonight's show. Like, it, like, and which, by the way, I didn't even think it was a terrible finish. Um, but it's just, it's one of many finishes on the show that were anticlimactic or maybe weird in some way or another. But it, I just don't feel. Rusev um, is a guy who should have been the guy at this point maybe not your top guy but your top clear heel a guy you could he should be a guy who was wrestling Brock Lesnar on this show are capable of wrestling Brock Lesnar on this show instead he was wrestling Dolph Ziggler Ziggler in the third match and basically a comedy feud and I mean that tells you a lot
2: yeah we had a a double count out here (laughs) uh Jeff which seemingly at night of champions even though no championship will be on the line we're gonna get that mixed tag that everyone is waiting for, where it will be Dolph and Lana against Rusev and Summer Rae, where the at, the yeah, focus me, now goes back to the women, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Let me holla at you, player. Mixed tag match. Uh, man, that 1986 Hesher-era Lana look is no buys for her. Um, yeah, it's going it, oh, yeah, to be a mixed tag with the catfight spot and, you know, super kicks between Dolph and Rusev. It, it, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see Summer and Lana wrestling again. That'll be nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what it's going to get. It's going to probably be like a spot in between two title matches somewhere in there.
2: Yeah. The mainstream cameo match of the night as uh, SummerSlam was in New York. They had Stephen Amel of the arrow television show in for the night. And Amel did all right in his role. I thought Stephen Amel and Neville defeated King Barrett and Stardust. They got the mainstream attention. Was it worth it? Dylan?
3: Um it was fine. I thought it was fine. I think, you know, uh Amel, you know, looked better than Dolph Ziggler, so that's good. He worked he worked hard and he hit his spots and uh he was a functionally you know, he was useful as a face in peril in the match. Um I thought it was a fine match. I thought it was I mean I this is nothing I'll ever watch again. Uh, you could argue that it was unnecessary filler on a show that already had plenty of stuff, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but I didn't think it was bad filler. You know, if you're going to have unnecessary filler, at least make it not bad. And this was not bad, so uh, I was okay with it. I, you know, I, And I was happy that Neville got a match on the card. If this was the only way Neville was going to get a match on the card, because I think he, he performed very well this year, then I'm perfectly fine with this being the way, especially because he got the win in
2: the end. Jeff, what is next for Stardust now when this uh, Amel feud seemingly is over? I mean, unless Amel's coming back week after week, which I can't see. Maybe he'll be there for Raw for something. Um, I mean, Neville, Stardust, and King Barrett are three guys without much direction after this cameo match. Uh, Who do you see maybe having the most important direction out of the three going forward? (laughs) Neville.
0: Easy. Because... They like him. I, I think, you know, just based on even what Dylan said, I think I think we're fading on uh, on a here. I thought he was spectacular for a guy who for what he has, was for what he for, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're grading on the curve of celebrity in ring stuff and especially because he had to play the face in peril, they never make the celebrity do that for the most part. And they never do it effectively if they do. He was great in this role. I think I think Dylan had a joke of that Amel makes a great Ricky Morton here. I thought he was pretty darn good. He you know, he did aerial moves. nobody could ever think of him doing uh, a spot from the top rope to the floor. Are you are you kidding me? I mean, not since Doctor Ken has an, a hey, celebrity tried that. He was he was, in, he was in it.
2: That's for sure. He was in it. And this is where I mean, this was the first hour of this SummerSlam where yes. I started thinking this was a really fun show because Sheamus and Randy Orton. You know, crowd reaction at the start aside. Those two got the people back into the match. We had a clear-cut winner. I thought it was pretty solid work. The tag team title match uh, was one of my favorite matches of the weekend uh, from hmm. anything. Uh, Ziggler and Rusev, for the first moments before you got the double countout, I thought Rusev was showing why exactly he was a big up-and-coming star in his first year. It was kind of like the old Rusev in a bit. And then year had Amel, which was an entertaining enough match. Neville was doing all his good stuff, so it was entertaining to me. Like This was a pretty solid first hour of the show, but then... And- But then we get the triple threat with Ryback, Big Show, and Miz, Mm. where the part of the Ryback was played by the Miz, (laughs) and the part of the Miz was played by the Ryback. Jeff, the Ryback retains his championship. Is there any possibility that this match may have had a different result if it took place originally at the last pay-per-view? Or was Ryback always going to walk away with the IC championship?
0: I think if it had taken place at the previous pay-per-view, I thought the Miz was going to get it, and then Ryback would take it back here. I, 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 you know, after, after this match, I said, give the icy belt to a Mel. He'd make it better. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's true, but uh,
2: Darren, uh, what'd you think? You know. of, what'd you think about the intercontinental championship match here and the Ryback stealing a win from the big show?
3: I thought it was a good match. I thought for, for, for what you? it was like, on, yes, on paper, okay. I thought this had potential to be disastrous. And I thought it was actively good. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't the best match on the show or even no. close to it. Uh, but for, for what they were trying to do, which I think was just a short little sprint to sort of bridge between the first and second portions of the show, I thought it was very effective. I thought every single person in the match was better than I expected, including yeah. Ryback, right who I'm generally high on. And, you know, the, my only my only real criticism of the match was I thought the finish came off weak. You know, they mm. they 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 did a good. It was a good idea on paper. That I don't think. I don't even think it was executed wrong. It's just I don't know that there was a, a proper way to time that with the you know the knockout punch and then the close. There was just too much time in between point A and point B that they were getting to. But as a whole, I thought it was a good match. I thought everybody worked hard and looked good, and I thought the pacing of it was absolutely perfect for a match of this sort. And to me, the uh, you know ride back continues to. Sort of quietly be a guy who's had a good in-ring year and who has presence and who and who has probably more value than we give him credit for. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, th- oh, yeah, I think I think the in the middle of the match there was a stretch there where it was really entertaining and the Miz was doing a really good job here. I think it took a while for it to pick up, but once it got in there, it was it was good. And yeah, I, I agree with you that the, the 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 end of the match was a little a little wonky.
2: Well, I think maybe it came out of nowhere in a bit just because the match only went five minutes. So, you're, I mean, Dylan's right. It was a sprint. Like, it was, a, it was yeah. a fun, short little sprint. The Ryback wins. So, Knight of Champions comes up really quickly before we move on to the next one. I want to get both of your thoughts. So, Knight of Champions, the pay-per-view where every championship is on the line. What does Ryback do? Does he stay with Big Show? Does he go with Miz? Or is it completely someone new? What's going to be the IC title match at Knight of Champions? Dylan and then Jeff.
3: Um I think it needs to be somebody new, and I'm not entirely sure that I wouldn't pick Kevin Owens. I know it's an odd matchup on paper um but it's it, it's to me as logical a matchup as there is when i when I look at the field um and it's a matchup that I think could work uh. I don't think there's any other pick that is clearly better, at least not that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh to me, Owens is, is the best is the strongest pick.
2: Jeff?
0: I think it's gonna be I'd love for it to be Owens, but I think it's gonna be a Big Show, and I think it's gonna be due to some sort of match between Miz and the Big Show with the winner facing Ryback at night of champions.
2: Yeah, I would uh I would go with the big show also, uh, if they're gonna stay with one of these two men. For the Ryback to go against, especially because Big Show was the one who had the win seemingly. So sometimes in triple threats, you like to play off of that. I would go Big Show, but Kevin Owens certainly makes sense too, especially once we get to the Kevin Owens-Cesaro match and how that result happened. Uh, We will get to that in a bit. But first, it was the Shield versus the Wyatt family. Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns going up against Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. And Bray Wyatt took the pinfall here. Roman Reigns gets the win, pinning Bray Wyatt. Jeff, your thoughts on two-thirds of the Shield getting the win here, and I know you were disappointed they didn't do the full Shield entrance.
0: (laughs) I was a little disappointed. I thought, it would, you know, if if these guys are quote-unquote brothers, yeah, do the Shield entrance for this big-time show. Um, You know, it was an okay match. I, I think, you know, this crowd really took me a bit out of it when they started crapping on Reigns. Uh, But overall, you know, I thought Harper was good in this. Bray was good in this. But but it's your typical Shield versus Wyatt family match. It wasn't anything terribly special to it. And and it almost seemingly went on a bit too long um, with both faces in peril for for an extended amount of time. Dylan, Dylan, does the
2: political hit against Roman Reigns continue?
3: I think so. I mean, I, I I mean, I thought it was a good match. I really did. Uh, I I I actually disagree with Jeff a little bit in the sense, not necessarily that, because uh, I, I don't know how long it went. But I thought what hurt this match was that it, it didn't have the ending that you expected. Yeah. You know, they they they, they, did, they did they have all this crazy sprintish stuff on the front end, a lot of spots, and, and sort of the crazy feel that the previous Shield Wyatt's match had. Then it settled into a tag, which was cool. I was fine with that. But then it just was over. You know, you didn't, you didn't, it, it was like they escalated and then they tapered back and then that was that. So, um, uh, but I did think it was a good match. Uh, having said that, you know, it was put right in the dead middle of the card. Um, I don't really think Reigns was put in a position to, to shine. Yes, he did get the win, uh, but it was kind of an anticlimactic fin- finish, as I, as I said. I don't really see how this helped anybody. Uh, You know, I I mean, I guess you could argue this, the the, the beneficiary here is Luke Harper, just by association, because look what he was doing before the feud started. But realistically, this just felt like a match where guys were sort of plugged into the middle of a show Mm -hmm. and none of them have a lot of direction coming out of it. And I don't know what they're going to do with any of them at all. Yeah, 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 uh, It's weird. It's odd. Yeah. If a
0: match needed a stipulation, this was one it, that needed it and probably need to be like a tornado yeah. street fight or something with plunder and just a wild brawl to get the fans more into it than just a normal tag match between the shield and make it a fight that it was built up to be. Make it make it that big kind of brawl. I think that would have really... Brought out a lot more out of this match than than this crowd got out of it, to be honest with you.
2: I want to I want to ask you both and a show of hands here or maybe something more appropriate for a non-visual medium. When Roman Reigns was tagged in for the finish there and Dean Ambrose is bouncing up and down on that bottom rope, cheering on Roman Reigns. Any of you out there think that Roman was just about to turn to that corner and punch Ambrose out?
3: Anyone, nobody. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, but it would not have shocked. That didn't, it thought didn't enter my head, but it certainly wouldn't have shocked me either. I didn't,
0: I didn't think so, but I thought that Roman wouldn't take that last tag from Dean.
2: I'm standing there watching this match, and I'm thinking, Dean Ambrose is way too chipper right now, cheering on Roman Reigns not to just get sucker punched in the face. But it didn't, it didn't happen. Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, still BFFs. Heading into uh, Raw tomorrow night at the Barclays Center. Uh, we go on to the next portion of the pay-per-view where really the, the more important stuff started to take place. It was the WWE Championship up against the U.S. Championship, title for title. And before this match began, all night, Jon Stewart was the host of this SummerSlam, and really all that consisted of was a couple of backstage segments. One really good one with Paul Heyman, I thought, going over the story of Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, especially from a, a fan's perspective. But John Stewart was set up as the host for this show. He had done angles with Seth Rollins on Raw and the Daily Show previously, so he was kind of tied into this match a little bit, uh, to the point where some were predicting some type of John Stewart interference. But we got Seth Rollins beating John Cena because. John Stewart came in and interfered on Seth Rollins' behalf. I want to get your thoughts, Dylan, on the match here, the new United States Champion, the current WWE Champion, and the new WWE Linear Champion, Seth Rollins' <laughs> his victory over John Cena. What do you think about the whole presentation from start to finish here?
3: Um, as a match, I thought it was it was very interesting because in front of this crowd, it, in front of most crowds, I guess, but certainly in front of this crowd, it was obvious, it should have been obvious coming in, that Cena was going to get booed. And Rollins, I, I think it was a little bit surprising how how strongly he was cheered for, but I, I think it's fair to say that he was going to be the face in front of this audience. What was surprising to me is that they wrestled the match as if Seth Rollins was the babyface. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, he, worked, he worked completely as a babyface in this match, I thought. 150,000%. Like, there was nothing in about him other than maybe the knee at the very end to, to Cena's nose that, and the finish itself, which was heelish. Nothing. Um, and it was also interesting to watch because this is now... We now have a new John Cena match. I think this sort of shows it. For a long time, the John Cena match was uh, sort of the, uh, you know, the model was, I guess, maybe the Umaga match from 2007 Royal Rumble, where, you know, you've got Cena versus the monster. He overcomes the odds, and and, and he's, the match is largely built around Cena selling and building to a big comeback and hope spots and things like that. Now the John Cena match is basically a PWG match. That's basically what it is. Uh, a, a bunch of strung-together uh, high spots where the near falls are are really more important than anything else in the match. There's um, the pacing is very quick. There's a lot of ex- like back and forth exchanges. I, you know, it's not really my preference for styles. Uh, although that's not to say I don't enjoy it because I, I do. I, I thought the match was good for this style, but it would not be my first choice. Um, but I think it's interesting to watch that. And I think we've now reached the point where that is now the Cena match. That's what he does now. And uh, this was another one of those that I think a lot of people probably loved. I thought it was good within that style. There were quirks and things I wasn't completely enamored with, but I thought it was good for that kind of match. Maybe even borderline great uh, with some some issues here or there. Uh, the finish I just find to be very odd. I, I don't even know how to take – I really don't know how to take it. I don't know how to process the decision to – and I don't even think you to say it's a John Stewart heel turn by the way because again Seth Rollins was basically the babyface. So I don't even know what you call that. Like I don't know like I don't know what you call it in the context of the show. I don't know what you call it in the context of that feud. I don't know what you call it in the context of that match. It just was an ending that I and and, and there was nothing really that suggested they were going to do that. Uh I will say that as soon as Stewart showed up in the ring, I knew he was going to hit Cena with a chair. I think it was I you know, I was obvious, like he wasn't gonna hit wrong. I, I just knew it. But it was really weird. And I, I, I it's gonna take me a few days to sort of digest it and decide I have what to think about it, because it was just so strange.
2: Jeff, I want you to tell me on a scale of one to ten how crazy this might be and maybe how realistic it is possible. All throughout the show, John Stewart. Who has been anti Brock Lesnar because he was pro the Undertaker streak? You know, mm-hmm. even the Daily Show after WrestleMania 30, when the streak was broken, Jon Stewart mentioned it on his show how he was disappointed that the Undertaker lost his streak. Could this all be a, an insane roundabout way that Jon Stewart explains him helping Seth Rollins? as an attack on Brock Lesnar. Cause Seth Rollins was the man who beat Brock Lesnar for the WWE world heavyweight championship. So he supported the guy who ended up screwing over Brock Lesnar in a way, or are they just going to have the swerve for the sake of being a swerve?
0: Something else actually came into my head. That's even weirder than you doing the whole roundabout for the undertaker thing. I think Trump's making an appearance <laughs> at some point. Oh, how does that
2: play into anything? <laughs> Exactly. Because, how does Trump plan to John Stewart? Aside from the Rich Cratch and Joe Lanza battle over who's more popular, how exactly does John Stewart get to Donald Trump here?
0: Um, no. I, I, I just to set him up as a heel, and then Donald Trump comes in as a kind of baby face here to take on Stewart. Well, that I, would I don't be serious know. miscasting. I know that. Well, according to you, no. According to not everybody. According to Vince. No, according to everybody. <laughs> no. Look, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's, it's a way to get around the Brock Lesnar thing. I think it's just, it'll probably be explained as something like, well, he showed up on my show and you wouldn't John Cena
2: I, I kind of thought about that too like it's just the fact that okay I did the segment with with Seth Rollins John Cena didn't and Seth Rollins came on my show at the end and John Cena didn't yeah like, you went he's on too busy, yeah. he's too busy doing everyone else's media but he wouldn't yeah, come on my show
0: that's that's exactly what it's going to be I thought you know and also in this match I just want to kind of piggyback I agreed with uh Dylan's take that Rollins was working as the face here I thought Cena was unusually Sl- not crisp in his execution of moves here and Rollins was really was crisp in 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 hitting his spots there i i i it was odd watching Cena just kind of not necessarily botch move after move but not hit it clean move after move tonight. He was just off i think um but yeah it's gonna be a media type thing and then. Someone, some other media personality, will probably be brought in to give Stewart his comeuppance. But we, I
2: mean, do we think that John Stewart is going to be appearing on Raw on Monday because it's in the same building, it's in the same place? It's not going to be like it's difficult. You're not flying John Stewart all over the place. John Stewart has to appear to give his own reasoning on Monday,
0: right? Oh, they sure. can't.
2: They can't just have Seth Rollins do the whole. Well, John Stewart did this for this reason. They have to have John no. Stewart say it for himself.
0: Yes, John Stewart is going to be there. He's going to give his reason, and he's going to be the one introducing the Seth Rollins statue. Hopefully,
2: and Dylan, do you would you <laughs> think that John Stewart has to be the one to cut his own promo here?
3: Yeah, he's got to. I I don't because what what else are they going to do? I mean, it's such a confusing thing to do that I feel like he has to be the person who explains it. Plus, I don't trust. Uh, frankly, I don't trust anybody else to. To cut a good enough promo to to make sense of it, I mean, it's not like they've got a great a lot of great guys who could talk.
2: John you know? Stewart's done pretty uh, well too, cutting promos like this yeah, when he's had to make that's, sense. That's of what him. I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah, that's what I mean. He's he's good at it. He's probably he's the best, one of the better people that they've ever had uh, as far as celebrities or outsiders. So. <laughs> I think he's probably gonna have to. I mean now I guess you could make the argument they might do it as a free tape, but I don't believe that. I think he's gonna be there already, they'll do something in the arena.
0: I think he's opening the show.
2: He doesn't have a daily show to record that night, so I mean he very well I mean could just be there for the weekend. But I want you guys to give me a name now. I'm going to ask you this. I wanna give give me a name who walks out of Raw on Monday, the United States champion. Dylan, go ahead first.
3: Seth
2: Rollins. Jeff, who walks out of Monday Night's Raw the U.S. champion?
0: Seth Rollins. Nobody. I don't think it's abdicated yet, do you? I I
2: think it's going to be, what's the word that they like to use now? Vacated? In in, uh, abeyance. The championship is going to be be held up in abeyance because I think going in the night of champions, Seth Rollins is too busy as the world champion. He doesn't need this U.S. belt. And to further rub salt in the wounds of John Cena, he's not even going to fight for the U.S. title. He's just going to let others fight for it because Seth Rollins is above it. And I think you'll have the start of some type of tournament. So I think it's going to be held up in abeyance on Monday night. And I do think they'll do it on the very first week, just so they can have weeks of a tournament there.
0: I didn't, I didn't, I think that there was going to be a tournament. I just didn't think they'd, they'd vacated on that first night.
2: The divas elimination match, the divas revolution continues. The best women's match of the weekend was Bailey and Sasha from takeover, but we had nine women in a match here. The elimination, uh, all things considered, there's, there's been a lot said Going into SummerSlam about this match, about how you shouldn't really have probably nine women going in for a Divas Revolution all at the same time so it can be forgotten. You should probably have a single focal point or at least two women fighting each other uh, and making the title meaningful. Uh, but all that's been said, uh, we went into this match. We got what we got. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of the end result here as team? PCB, Paige, Charlotte, and Becky gets the win with Becky Lynch eliminating the Bellas by pinning Brie Bella. What were your overall thoughts at the end of this one? Uh, Basically resigned to the fact that it was going to be a nine-person elimination.
0: Uh, It blew my mind who they let win, to be honest with you. Becky winning blew my mind. I mean, I I said I thought the Bellas were going to win this match somehow by some chicanery. Uh, If PCB were to win, I didn't think it'd be Becky getting the pin. Charlotte was a total non-factor in this match. That was my big takeaway. And, you know, maybe they don't know who the new girl to take over from Nikki is. If there is a new girl, there may not be one.
2: There might not necessarily necessarily be one new girl either. Like going into this, we talked about it on our preview show that I thought this was going to be a smokescreen for them to actually set up a focal point of the division or at least a challenger by having someone either turn on a team or just kind of be so dominating during the match that you couldn't help but focus on them. Um, And I
0: say maybe Becky's the one. Maybe right. Becky's going to be the one, because she's the only one who didn't get the chance at the NXT title, maybe they're going to say, hey, here's your shot now, you can do it up here. Maybe, and, maybe that's know, true.
2: Dylan, I, do you think it's possible that WWE, uh, as much as none of us thought this was possible, or maybe we just didn't think of it at all, like could they be setting up Becky Lynch to be the the pin in this division?
3: Um, it is not out of the realm of possibility, my Mike the uh, wrestling culture uh podcast co-host Dave Muskree talked was talking to me privately when the show was going on and he says he believes that's the direction they're gonna go. I mean that's what he and he actually said that before the finish of the match. Um, I don't know why he thinks that but uh it would not stun me. I, I you know to me this was this was just a really weird sort of match because to me this was the match like uh that was the most mystifying match on the show and, and not just in terms of the booking itself but also in terms of not having the sense to capitalize on the fact that Sasha Banks had had such a great performance in the same building, mm. presumably in front of a lot of the same people the night before, and she does nothing in this match. She's a complete non-entity. She may as well have not even been in it. Uh, I just thought that was really odd. And then the decision to have Becky win was kind of equally odd and and, and surprising. So And pleasantly surprising, don't get me wrong. But um, very odd match. Overall, I thought, uh, you know, it was odd where they put it on the show. It was odd the way it was laid out, and I don't mean in a good way. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Becky getting the win, I think, is a good thing if it means that they're going to advance her as a figure. But if it's just, you know, uh, something that was done either to feed red meat to the people in the building that particular night or just not even any thought put into it at all, which I think is possible as well you know, uh whatever. w we're we are totally in the wait and see uh territory when it comes to the Divas Revolution. I don't think there's any question about it. It is way too difficult to say what is going to happen at this point with any of these people. And that one thing I do think is clear is they need to start doing singles matches soon and they need a little bit more depth than they currently have as far as people who the crowd is actually going to give a chance to. They're never going to give a chance to to the Bellas. They're just not. The, the, the fans that they're after are never going to give the fellas a chance. They're never going to give a chance to the people who they associate with the old model. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how hard they work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they improve. They don't care. Um, you know, I, I, I said this on Twitter. They'd be better off sending somebody like Alicia Fox down to NXT, putting her in some NXT main events so she can get her NXT cred and then pulling her back up, rather than having her in a match like this now. Where those fans are just gonna reject her simply because she was part of the the previous standard. And
0: and you could put her in a storyline with, say, a Bailey for the three months in between big shows. And even if she lost that match, she'd have that cred. I mean, that that's what the great thing about what NXT has done over the past two years is in between big shows, they've built up a new star in that women's division. And WWE can't seem to do that for one person on their main roster.
2: Now, this was another pay-per-view where Nikki Bella didn't defend the Divas Championship. And there's been talk, uh, not so much lately, but it was for a good portion of the early uh, months here of this year. Uh, AJ Lee had the infamous 295-day reign as Divas Champion, the longest reign for that particular championship belt. Uh, Nikki Bella right now is at 274. And the next pay-per-view is more than 20 days away. So, like, she'll have to defend the belt on Raw and lose if she's not going to hit AJ Lee's number. What do we think? Is Nikki Bella going to hit her 300 days and surpass AJ Lee as the Divas' championship longest reign? Uh, Dylan, do you think she'll uh, get that record here?
3: I do. I think if she wasn't going to, she would have already lost.
0: Jeff? Ditto. I mean, there's no question she's getting it. And, you know... Knowing, knowing the people around surrounding this, she may still have this belt at this time next year.
2: Yeah. Uh, but now that this, uh, especially if they play it up a little bit on her road to 300 and catap- uh, you know, getting off of, uh, Becky Lynch's win here and, and capitalizing on it. Um, if Becky Lynch were to somehow beat Nikki Bella on a raw, uh, I mean, how big a deal would that be? Because we, we've already said it. Like, Becky Lynch is one of those that's kind of under the radar. We didn't expect when they brought up Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky at the same time. Becky Lynch probably wasn't going to be the focal point of those three. She was just another one to be brought up. But here she could be coming out of SummerSlam the victor and going on to defeat Nikki Bella. Like, if they were to do that, how big of a, a moment would that be for this Divas re- revolution?
0: It would be a big moment that they don't capitalize on, I think, because they've done this before when they brought up Paige and when, you know, even, you know, Gail Kim, the first match she ever had on the WWE roster. She wins the women's title, and then they do nothing with it. That's the problem. The problem isn't the moment. The problem is what they do with the moment. And you could, yes, you could give Becky the win, and she'd be a star if you wanted her to be a star. But they never follow up properly in the women's division here. I mean, AJ got run into the ground basically, and not as a star, but as a character. So, I mean, it all depends on the follow-up. It would be a huge moment. Don't get me wrong. It'd be a huge moment, but you need to do something with that moment. Yeah. Kevin Owens. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: I, I, one, one thing I want to say real quick, Rob, to that point too, is I also think it depends on how good the match is. You know, if yeah. you, if you, yep. if they go out, because the selling point here is it really is match quality. It really yeah. is. Yeah, and if, they, if 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 Becky has a good even a good match with Nikki Bella, I think it could mean something. If she had a great match with Nikki Bella, it certainly could mean something. If she wins the title in a meaningless five minute match that you know just is sort of plug into a Raw, or even a sort of dead go nowhere twelve minute match, well, you know it doesn't matter. So uh, the quality of the match means a lot.
0: Yeah, or distraction schoolboy roll up for the pin does yep. nothing for her.
2: The penultimate match on this pay-per-view, the match in between the Divas elimination and immediately preceding the main event of Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, Kevin Owens versus Cesaro. Dylan Hales, we had Kevin Owens get the win over Cesaro here, but talk to me a little bit about the death slot.
3: (laughs) Well, I I think this proves once and for all that the idea that there isn't one is a myth. because. Um, if, if there was any crowd, you uh, know, Jeff mentioned earlier, uh, the very top of the show, practically, that you disagreed with me a little bit about the smarkiness of the crowd. And, I, and I, I think it's probably fair to say that it wasn't, you know, overwhelmingly so. Maybe It's not like it was a mania crowd. For example, I don't think it was as bad as like, the, the post-RAW mania crowd in that regard. But I do think it was much more in line with that than the average WWE, even TV show would be. Much, much, much more. And this, in theory, is a match that should absolutely play to that crowd. Uh, In fact, you could argue that there's no two people on the entire roster who who that crowd is, is more in love with than Kevin Owens and Cesaro. I mean, they might be one and two, and certainly both would be in the top four or five. And yet, this match, with both guys working very hard, and, and and putting on a, 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 in a stellar performance for the style of match they were working, got I don't want to say got no heat. That would be unfair. But it got a relatively right. modest reaction, and certainly nothing approaching the reaction that that you would expect both from these two guys and for what they were doing in the ring. Not even close. Uh, you know, and I think this shows once and for all. You know, that the idea that there is no death slot is just nonsense. Of course there is. People have been conditioned for years that the match before the main event is kind of your your slow roll match. You just "Eh, whatever. Does that mean that every instance of that, you know, there's no response? Of course not. But especially for a kind of a thrown together feud that has not meant a ton on television, not that they haven't had some good segments and whatever, but I, I don't think it should be surprising that they got the reaction they got, given the slot they were on the show. It's a shame. They worked, they worked hard. They did a lot of stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, it was a good performance by both guys. I was happy to see Cesaro get a, a pay-per-view match, and I was happy to see Owens get the win that he needed, even though I don't think either guy really could afford to lose. But, you know, <laughs> this also, I think suffered from, from other... One other thing should be mentioned. I think this match suffered a little bit, not just from being in the death slot, but it came on the heels of uh, the Divas match, which the top person that everybody wanted to see was bounced right away, and mm-hmm. uh, which sort of killed the heat on that. And then on top of it, it came not that long after the Rollins-Cena match, which was a very similar match stylistically with a bizarre finish. So. They really sort of slowly I think tired and cooled this crowd out, so it was a combination to me of both the death slot and the stuff that immediately preceded it in terms of booking and the way things were laid out on the show but I felt I actually felt bad for these guys because they worked mm. hard, but it just wasn't enough
2: it also if, it, it also took place you know nearly three hours into what the crowd knew was going to be a four-hour show with the big Brock Lesnar match immediately after. So they were kind of anxious for Brock Lesnar a little bit too as another factor uh, that went into play here. But Jeff, yeah, we had Kevin Owens, Cesaro. Kevin Owens getting the win. Uh, Give your thoughts on the match, and was this enough to kind of rehab the recent losing streak of Kevin Owens?
0: If this were the opener, that crowd would be hot. Absolutely. that That's yeah. another factor in this death Like, If that were the opener,
2: people might be, uh, maybe I'm crazy, people might be calling this the match of the night and a match of the year contender for Kevin Owens, as far as his resume goes, not necessarily yeah. overall. But um, yeah, it would be a completely different reaction, and I think it would have played uh, a part of that perception there for sure.
0: Here, I mean, it doesn't do anything for either guy, because now Cesaro... You know, the the, the, the build we thought might be coming ain't coming. And Owens, you know, he gets a win, but, you know, we have to wait and see now to see what they do with the win. Uh, The one thing, I the other thing I took from this match is is the ending of the match. Kevin Owens deserves a lot of credit for saving that spot because it looked like Cesaro's leg was going to get caught in that rope, and he powered him over into the... uh, I want to say Fishman Buster off the rope. I can't remember. It was a suplex of some kind. that dropped him down there. But it, it looked like Owens single-handedly saved that move from being a completely botched spot. Um, but Owens as a character, I don't know. Because it's in such a weird, precarious spot. And the crowd sat on their hands. And you never know what the guy in gorillas thinking watching the match and hearing no reaction, even though it was a great match.
2: Yeah, as far as as far as far casual fans go, because we on our preview show had Marquia McCarty, who is a WWE fan. She watches WWE TV and mm-hmm. not the NXT and not the independents and everything. And it was a fresh perspective because sometimes we get in this wrestling bubble where we've grown to know these guys and what they can do and what we would hope that they can do and how we think they should be perceived in WWE. But you had Kevin Owens and Cesaro here in the death slot. And Kevin Owens gets the win here, and casual fans are probably sitting to themselves like, why should I care about this match? They're not in any title picture. Cesaro is a guy who never wins when he's not in tag team uh, action, and he lost another match here. Who cares? And then Kevin Owens is a guy that we're we're so far removed, I think, timeline-wise from the John Cena victory, and he lost to John Cena twice more, and he keeps losing matches here, and he just lost in front of the same Brooklyn crowd the night before, where people look at Kevin Owens and be like, Big deal, you beat Cesaro, a guy who never wins. So both of these guys are against each other, against guys who never win on TV. And people, casual fans, you know, Marquia didn't really know the history of Kevin Owens at all. And I'm sure most of the people who are casual fans don't know that history. They don't know why they should care about either one of these guys. And one beating the other probably doesn't help much. I mean, is that crazy, Dylan? Like, is that pretty fair?
3: No, I've said this in the past, and I'll continue to say this. The only person on the entire roster who's a full-time performer that a win over has any real value is John Cena. There's no one else on the entire roster that a win over really means anything, because they don't have any stars in this company. Uh, The the top stars in the company are Brock Lesnar, The Undertaker, Paul Heyman, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, and John Cena. Uh, And one of those guys is a full-time player, and no one else is, and a few of them aren't even wrestlers. I
2: would, yeah, as far as Full-timers go, I think when Undertaker was a full-timer, absolutely a win meant something over him. Would you say, like, Randy Orton is certainly not this now, and it kind of was proven tonight with Sheamus, who probably won't go too far, uh, you know, anywhere until he eventually gets the championship, most likely. But, I mean, a win over Randy Orton, I think, during the mid-2000s probably was a big deal, but certainly yeah. not anymore. Yes,
3: yeah, so I agree with that. I, I, I think there was a, certainly a time where a uh, win Randy Orton had value. Now you know they've they've leveled him out just as much as anybody else, maybe even more so in some ways, uh, because of all the turns and whatnot. And there, there's there really, I mean, honestly, I don't think there is anyone that a win has re- any meaning over other than John Cena as far as regular guys go. Which is why I think the only way that they can elevate people right now is to sort of cluster them together. Like they did when they elevated The Rock and Triple H and and Foley sort of together as a unit in ninety eight and or in ninety nine, and just sort of let the, give the, give a group of three or four guys a bunch of TV time, let them have feuds and have meaning, let them have matches together, and, and and sort of elevate them as a wave rather than try to have them you know mixed up up and down the car with quasi main eventers that people don't give a shit about. That 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 is the only way they're going to get out of this situation because, well. I, the, there is, they could have people wrestle Brock, but they're not going to do that. You know, they're not going to give anybody uh, uh, that's, that's not a part-time guy a, a match against Brock, let alone a win. No, because... You know, so, well, well, based on what we saw
2: from the main event, it looks like it's going to be Undertaker again.
3: Yes, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's what we're going to get. You know, they don't use these guys. That's the other thing. When they, you bring the part-timers in, it's not as if they use them to elevate anybody either. They don't. So you have... Which, you know, I get the argument for why they do what they do. I understand it, but the problem, and and it would, in theory, it would work if they had other stars, but they don't have other stars. So if they're not going to have, if they're going to have these guys come in and they're not going to put other people over, you know, the only other alternative is to sort of bring people up in a tidal wave like they did with Foley and and, and Rock and Triple H in 98, 99. I don't see any other way to elevate people. Um, and, it, it, you know, they they yeah, better be really careful. You know, I mean, if, if the scene of injury, you know, taught us anything, right? even though it was a relatively brief thing, it's, this company really is hanging on a thread. You know, if, if he goes out with something serious, and God forbid that happens, I don't want that to happen, they, they don't have the infrastructure in place right now to make stars. They just don't. Well, can you imagine... Uh, it's, it's,
2: Dylan, can you imagine what this build up to SummerSlam would have been? Because we saw a little bit of this when John Cena was belted in the nose by Seth Rollins' knee, and he had to miss a few shows. Like, imagine if they did not have the Brock Lesnar Undertaker build for this same SummerSlam to to rely on in the main event picture. Like, what were we gonna see? Because that was the only way these weeks of Raw were saved when John Cena was
3: out. Oh, they would have been screwed. They'd have been completely screwed. They, they, have, I mean, they literally have nothing. They don't even have like somebody that they could kind of try. Like when Punk was still around or before Daniel Bryan was injured, you at least, even though they weren't Cena, it, you at least had somebody you could kind of ease into that slot. Mm-hmm. Right now they have no one, no one at all. It, it is the, 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 uh, a barren wasteland of non-stars. <laughs> and I don't know how that's going to it, change. It would kind it of be a major like... concern
2: it would kind of be like SmackDown has been because SmackDown didn't see Brock Lesnar and Undertaker either and you didn't have Cena to save the show. Like, it would be Seth Rollins cutting a 20-minute promo at the start and then wrestling a 30-minute either multi-man or somewhat meaningless match at the end. Like, it would be the Seth Rollins show on Raw and SmackDown every week.
3: Yeah, which is horrifying if you're me. (laughs) I I mean, I don't hate Seth Rollins to the degree that some people might think I do if they read my Twitter all the time. But I don't really see him as a guy who can carry a twenty-minute talking. Well, really, nobody can. But I, I don't want to see him talking for twenty minutes, you know, every show. And I, and I I don't really see him as a a great ring general either. Not that he can't have great performances. I thought he was a great night. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's I think it's really scary. I don't know if Jeff feels the same way or not. But I I think it's really scary when you look at this roster. And you start counting up, like, okay, what's the depth chart here? Like, if you're looking at a depth, you know, okay, who's, what tier is this guy on? I don't even know who the next biggest guy is after John Cena. Maybe Rollins, maybe. Like, I don't even know who it is. It, that's how, I mean, there's such a massive gap between him and whoever would be next. It's really, actually, I mean, I would be scared to death if I was somebody in creative there.
2: Yeah, I don't know exactly who you would do unless you're throwing money at you know a part timer that they could bring in like a sting or somebody that would just pop a you know pop some TV for a month or two. I don't know who they would bring, but before we get into this main event, Undertaker, Brock mm. Lesnar uh, proper, um, I wanted to point out something uh, at John Blood on Twitter. Uh, Bailey won the NXT Women's Championship while debuting new gold and white gear. The New Day won the tag team titles tonight, debuting new white and gold gear and Seth Rollins won the U S championship tonight, debuting new white and gold gear, the white and gold gear seemingly providing the power to win championships this weekend. I <laughs> just wanted to point that out, but Brock Lesnar undertaker. So let me go through this finishing stretch here. Let the people know who may not have watched thoroughly, This is what happened with Undertaker Brock Lesnar, of course, coming after the WrestleMania 30 match. Uh, The finishing stretch saw Brock Lesnar lock in the Kimura. They're rolling around. Brock Lesnar has his shoulders down. Charles Robinson starts to count one, and that is where the Undertaker taps out. At that moment, the timekeeper, who somehow had the same angle as Charles Robinson yet saw the tap out, go figure, rings the bell. (laughs) Calls for the match. Charles Robinson starts to wonder what's going on. He's the ref. He didn't call for the bell. He didn't see the tap out from the Undertaker. So Brock Lesnar lets go of the hold. Starts celebrating with Paul Heyman. And Charles Robinson, while he has his back turned to Undertaker and Brock, arguing with the timekeeper, tells him that the match is not over. Undertaker gets up. Low blows Brock Lesnar. Locks Brock Lesnar in Hell's Gate. And Brock, while defiantly throwing up the middle finger like he'll never tap out, Brock Lesnar passes out. Charles Robinson calls for the bell. And The Undertaker gets the win in the epic rematch here on SummerSlam. The match too big for WrestleMania. Gets the win uh, via not-so-underhand... Well, kind of underhand means. He low-blowed the guy during an official match. So Undertaker gets the win. Brock Lesnar gets the loss. They are 1-1. One and, one. and I think any question whether or not they would go to this uh, well the third time, whether it's at Survivor Series or more likely WrestleMania... Those questions are answered. They're doing this one for a third time.
3: Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't oh, even know what to say. The magic <sighs> official once again comes into play because, remember, we had a referee in the tag team match. that couldn't see anything but somehow saw that Kofi tag. Um, the timekeeper kept off camera. Probably a good idea, but still kind of a little bit eh, cheesy in a way. This is one where you're sitting in a writer's room and you have an answer to a question and you overthink it and you overplot it and it just comes out like garbage on the final product.
2: Yeah, I, I, Dylan, I mean, what did you think? Not just about... Because as far as the match goes, I thought this match blew away the WrestleMania 30 stuff. And it, it really... Oh, yeah. I mean, Undertaker had you know healing time and he wasn't knocked out halfway through the match, which helps. Uh, but I thought the match was better. But yeah, this finish is telling us that they are doing this match a third time. Undertaker, Brock Lesnar. But right now, Undertaker still is the heel in this confrontation. Like, at some point, he's got to get the fan favor back.
3: This was... Um... As a match, it was certainly better than I think almost anybody could have expected. Uh, Not outstanding, but I would say good. Um, And maybe, for some people's taste, maybe even outstanding, I guess. Um, I thought Taker took a lot of offense that I would never have guessed he would have taken for Brock. Um, They were pretty clever about the dramatic spots they did. Some of it I thought was over-the-top hokey and ridiculous. But that they, that's just sort of a staple of, frankly, of Undertaker matches as a rule, but in general, a lot uh, to a large degree, the WWE style in the main event scene. Um, but I thought it was a very good effort by, by both guys. The fi- <laughs> to me, though, this is the sort of finish that makes me hate modern wrestling. It really does. And I don't hate modern wrestling. I watch a ton of it. But this is like the worst possible thing. And I do basically agree with Jeff in the sense that this was like somebody sat around, thought they had a, a cute, smart idea. And then it, when you put it into practice, it just, it, it just falls on its face. And, but it should have been, obvious. I mean, part of the problem is I don't think people really want to do the undertaker. He's one of these guys like Ric Flair that I don't think you can, he can't really be a heel. Because the crowd doesn't want to boo him. Um, they, they want to cheer him. So that, that's the first problem. The second problem is it's just way too cute of a finish. Uh, there's no way you can do this finish and not have the people who are in the building feel like they got ripped off. I don't think there is any way. I mean, if I, I was pissed off sitting in my living room, I would have been really pissed off if I was uh, actually in the building as, if, as somebody who bought a ticket. Uh, it just—it feels like a really—it's just cheap. It's just cheap. It's not as bad as something like, you know, the the Ryback ba- CM Punk Hell in the cell finish, which I still contend is one of the maybe the single worst finish to a match I've ever seen. But it it, it was um, the kind of ending that you watch, and the, your immediate response is to say, "Fuck this company!" Like you don't you don't even like. There's no. I mean, to me, it was anyhow. And and I think, uh, you know, reading through Twitter and and talking to the people I've talked to to in the immediate aftermath of the show, that's fairly close to consensus with maybe one or two outliers. It just seems like this was a finish that completely failed. And I think maybe the worst thing it did was, rather than talk about how Taker worked much harder than everybody expected, or the fact that Brock managed to get a pretty good match out of Taker, or maybe even a great match, depending again on your aesthetic taste. what are we talking about? We're talking about how annoyed we are by the the finish. Uh, And to that extent, it failed in the worst sort of way, which is I think both guys look worse after the finish than they did before. I don't think it helps either guy. I think actually both guys look worse.
2: Well, Yeah, because you had, I mean, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. you had Brock Lesnar. Someone was able to make him pass out from pain, but at the same time, he's not the winner. Like Undertaker gets the win here, even though he tapped out. So everyone failed yet. Undertaker failed less. Um, Jeff, I mean the main event here, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, which I thought was an entertaining match. Again, I thought it was entertaining. I thought the finish was clever, maybe too clever. Um, It just strikes me as weird that the Undertaker is still doing the low blows and all this bad guy stuff when heading into his big finale with Brock Lesnar, especially if it happens at WrestleMania in Dallas, this guy should be, a conquering hero coming in to claim or slay the dragon of Brock Lesnar. And that's not what this is right now.
0: Yeah. And here's the problem. Um, I mean, the match was fine. I liked the match. I was enjoying it up until that point. And then I just kind of threw my hands up in the air. And I think I threw my phone. <laughs> um, um, it, it, Brock. The, the problem is it, it goes back into the cute factor, the cutesy factor while you're sitting there going, Brock hasn't been beaten yet clean since the undertaker win and you're saving that win for undertaker when you could have and it goes even back to the dylan discussion about stars you know if they had gone straight ahead despite any smarky backlash it might have gotten and given roman reigns the clean win over brock you'd have a star here in roman reigns you don't have that now You, you you have you have people in the writers room going well Brock hasn't lost yet. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't beat him here clean, but we don't want the undertaker to look weak and we don't want Brock to look weak. How do we get there? Well, then we start coming up with all these scenarios and we do this instead of doing straight ahead things that are simple, that NXT actually does well in their booking. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be undertaker getting the last win at WrestleMania, walking off into the sunset. And then the undertaker streak getting broken means absolutely nothing is, is anything they're doing right now? Would any of it been, uh, would, would they have not been
2: able to do anything right now? Had Brock Lesnar cleanly lost to Roman reigns at WrestleMania, and then you do the cash in after the match instead of during the match. Like they could still have undertaker coming back for revenge over Brock. Brock would mm-hmm. still be a pretty strong uh, contender in WWE. It's not like losing to Roman Reigns was going to kill Brock Lesnar. Cause nothing I don't think is actually going to kill Brock Lesnar. And you could have made a star in Roman Reigns getting that win and maybe a more heated program between Reigns and Rollins, which ended up fizzling out super quick. Like if they just made that one tiny little change, uh, how different could WWE have been as far as people's, you know, retention and caring about the product?
0: Well, it'd be hugely different because they didn't even make Rollins a big deal after he won at WrestleMania, and that's the last shot. That's the last shot, and that should be a star that you're trying to get into. It, it, it's Rollins there, and then they just turn him into, like, an authority goof. So you could have had him cash in at any time and had this same story. Yeah, you, you have Roman beat, the, you have Roman beat um, Brock clean. And then he becomes a star, and then you can have the Undertaker revenge thing, which is a story you can fit in at any time.
2: Yeah, I mean that didn't have to stop the revenge fact. Like Undertaker could be going still for revenge here. I just find it so weird that he's not this guy going for revenge. He's more of the sore loser than he is the conquering yeah. hero trying to get his streak back. Right, Dylan? Oh yeah, this, I, I, you
3: know, and not it's not. What's weird to me is not so much that they portray him as the sore loser, although that is weird enough itself. But it's also that they are trying to have it both ways. Because if you watch the match, like he, you have stuff like the sit up spot where Taker gives his goofball laugh in, in Brock's face, or like the uh, you know Taker fighting toe to toe with him after he gets ambushed. So they're still trying to present Taker as a legitimate badass. It's not like he's doing heel shortcuts all the time. It, you know that that's so. They want it both ways. They want you to still believe that Taker's a badass on par with Brock Lesnar, but he's also a sore loser who can only win by kicking him in the nuts. You know, like that. Like it. It's a really mixed message, um, and I think it's especially bad if you want to have him be the heel, which I think is nuts. But if you're if you're on doing that, you you can't do both. You can't. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. You either have to decide is he gonna be, you know, the, the ass kicking guy that can go toe to toe with Brock, or is he gonna be you know the guy who hits you in the nuts and rakes your eyes and does all that stuff. You can't have it both ways because it, it confuses a crowd that I think is already sort of mystified about what they're supposed to do <laughs> when it comes to taker. Yeah.
0: On on par with your question about the Shield Wyatt's match. Am I the only one who heard the bell ringing and when they weren't showing the guy thought the reveal was gonna be Kane? Oh, I thought that for sure. I
3: thought I thought exa- that's exactly what I thought. Cause I thought Kane I thought he'd come back tonight.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's still gone. Uh that is SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar Undertaker, seemingly on for another match. Most likely at WrestleMania, I would guess, unless Undertaker's gonna do another match this calendar year. Maybe they could do it at Survivor Series or something else, but uh WrestleMania in Dallas, Undertaker possibly going up for revenge at WrestleMania against Brock Lesnar. Uh, we'll we'll get into our big takeaways from TakeOver quickly here, but before that, NXT is taping TV on September 10th. Seemingly now it will only be for three weeks of television because we already have the next two NXT TakeOvers announced. October 7th will be the NXT TakeOver featuring the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Memorial Cup.
1: <laughs> yes! Uh,
2: and then December 16th, live from the United Kingdom, we are going to get NXT TakeOver from, uh, I believe it's in London, I guess I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, from the UK, NXT TakeOver on December 16th. So we're getting TV leading up to October 7th, uh, the next TakeOver. Uh, but yeah, what were, uh, I want to go through, uh, all of us, your one major takeaway from TakeOver. Jeff, we'll start with you. What was the thing that TakeOver really meant to you?
0: Bailey, loved it. She's a star. Push her. Push her now. Push her strong as a champ. Love that match. Want to take it home. Hug it. Kiss it. Make babies with it. Love the match. Loved her. She was great throughout the whole thing. And she and Sasha, you know, they, you know, you want to do a Divas Revolution? Keep watching NXT.
2: Dylan, your your one takeaway, your most important takeaway from NXT TakeOver.
3: I'll invert that a little bit, and I'll just say Sasha Banks. She is, uh, oh, yeah, she's great I too. think... She's the I mean, true star. I she's prob- yeah, I mean, oh. she to me is the best wrestler in the WWE, uh, and maybe the best wrestler in the world. I, 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 I don't want to say that with certainty. There are people like AJ Styles and Roger Strong and others who I think certainly have a strong claim on that, and maybe a better claim. Well, this but, this is what uh, I would
2: say. This is what I would say to that, and I'll just let you uh, finish there. Like Sasha Banks, a lot of times with these matches, and we've seen it now on WWE TV. Like, it really means something to have an opponent for her. Because mm-hmm. Sasha Banks is great, but she needs to have the right opponent to have the right type of match, where a guy like Roderick Strong, I think, has a better shot of having those great matches with almost anyone of any type of skill level uh, up to a certain point. Um,
3: well, well, that's true, but Roderick Strong is also given 25 minutes to do whatever the hell he wants on any show that's, he wants. That's true, yes. And that, that is a huge difference between being told, you have Brie Bella for 10 minutes on her off. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, now that doesn't it, it, that doesn't completely take away from your point, Rob. I, I that's completely fair in many respects, and I think that's probably the biggest difference is that you you are much more likely to get a a, a a guaranteed quality match from Roderick and AJ than you are from Sasha. On the other hand, I think what Sasha does very very well is she delivers on the biggest stages. I actually think better than either one of them do, and that's yeah. that's not to say that they don't have, that the matches are. I think the matches as a whole are comparable in quality, but when you look at somebody like AJ Styles in the G1 versus whoever, or you know, or Roderick Strong on 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 on, on iPay per view, you know, they're probably going to have a good opponent too, maybe even a great opponent. Uh, whereas, and this is not a knock on Becky Lynch and Bailey, but I don't think Becky Lynch and Bailey. Are people who are necessarily going to have matches of that quality in their own right? If Sasha's not there, to me, Sasha is the common denominator. Um, I, you know, especially when you when you extend it up uh, to to Charlotte Flair. I think she is what uh, not. And Bailey was great in the match the other night. Uh, Becky Lynch was great in their match, but to me, Sasha is the one that I feel like you can absolutely rely on. If you give her time and you give her something meaningful, she will deliver on it. And I think this match, to me, that was my that's my match of the year right now. And I watch everything. And here's and, here's and that, that match of the year is my match of the year.
0: Here's the addendum I'll add to Sasha because people who listen to this show regularly know I've been on this Sasha bandwagon for a long time. Over the past two years, she's gone from basically being a jobber to the stars' heel to being, yeah, possibly the best wrestler in the WWE, if not the world. She ups her game every time she has one of these big takeover matches. I mean, just the progression between, you know, the Charlotte match, the four-way, the Becky Lynch match, and now the Bailey match. She's been pulling out bigger and bigger stunts and stops throughout each of those matches and has gotten better and better and better to the point where, I mean... How anybody on the main roster and creative can can deny that she's a breakout star of this division boggles my mind that they're trying to figure out who to push out of the three they've brought up. But that's me. One of my one of my
2: takeaways, the latter match, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, which I thought was a pretty good match, but it wasn't, uh, you know, obviously not the best match of the night. I thought the women's match took that one Uh, Finn Balor right now in NXT to me. And I like Finn Balor. I like Prince Devitt. Finn Balor right now is just an entrance. And that Mm -hmm. entrance is starting to fade in popularity with the live crowds. And the live crowds are really who digs this thing. Um, Finn Balor, I'm worried about him in NXT. Should I be, Dylan?
3: Well, the the big problem Finn Balor has is he's not that good. Uh, He's not terrible. Wow. But he's a, I, I he's don't a little think plain though no i
2: mean i mean that's what it is he, i think he he's is. a plain
3: he, he is and that's, that's what i mean it's, i by no means do i think he's a bad wrestler uh, but i see i've never seen any evidence to support the theory that he's a great wrestler um i i just don't understand even where the idea comes from um it, it's you know i my i'm told he's charismatic Um uh, i don't see it um I don't think he's a void. Uh, I think he certainly connects with a, a certain portion of the fan base very well. I think his entrance absolutely connects with a lot of people. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'm certain I'm probably in the minority in that regard. Uh, but you know, my brother said this. Uh, you know, I watched my, I watched take over with my my family. Uh, I'm here in Chattanooga right now, actually. And my brother said this uh, when we were watching. He said, you know, to me the problem is he's got this demon thing that he does, and it has no relationship to what he does in the ring. It's not part of his character at all. It's just, a, it's just dress up. He's just like dressing up. And mm-hmm. then he wrestles and it has no relationship to anything he does. And um, I don't know if he feels flat because of that, but I think that's a point that does matter. Um, I actually thought the match was quite good. I probably liked it more than you did, Rob. But I do sort of think that the idea that people have, that Balor is going to be the sure thing, breakout guy and he just gets it and he's dead on. Um, I don't know why people think that. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to be, because he could be. I could be wrong. Uh, I I, I think that's an open question. But I don't understand what it is about him that people think makes him an obvious surefire, definitely going to make it as a top-tier guy. I mean, I've heard that for a long time from a lot of people. And I just don't see any evidence to support that theory at all. I don't understand where that idea comes from.
0: I I can explain it, I think, because I have a problem with I have a problem with Balor in that he never talks in any of these feuds. The heat is always on the other guy in NXT. When he was in New Japan, Prince Devitt could hide behind having a good entrance, having a nice joke that got some heat, you know, the boxing gloves, the you know, the the light-up jacket and whatnot, but he never had to talk. And he could do the charismatic stuff in the ring, which New Japan fans loved, but it's a different game in the WWE. In this Kevin Owens feud, he really didn't have any back and forth. There was no heat. There's no reason to bring out the quote-unquote demon because you'd think it's kind of a Hulk-Bruce Banner type relationship where, you know, in the normal matches and whatnot, he's, he's... Finn Balor. And then when he gets really angry and really wants to be pissed, he dresses up as this demon because it shows a different side of him. That would be shown in an actual feud where he was giving an interview or a promo on a guy where he was actually angry at the guy. And that would help him immensely. But we never see him talk. We never see him cut promos other than he's very humble to have this belt, etc, etc. So he doesn't have that extra. I mean, his in-ring stuff is great, but in-ring stuff isn't going to do you any good in the WWE without the ability to talk. We see that with guy after guy after guy. And it works in New Japan, and that's why everybody thinks he's, he's a can't-miss breakout star. But the rules are different here, and you have to abide by those rules.
2: And, and what I worry about is the fact that Daniel Bryan got over without getting much mic time because he had the groundswell of support from the fans, and the U.S. fans kind of knew him. Uh, just based on insider stuff and having seen him on the independents. A lesser extent, Cesaro is the same guy getting this groundswell of support when he doesn't really talk uh, very much. But I don't know if Finn Balor is going to get that same type of groundswell, you know, grassroots support that made Daniel Bryan a huge superstar with his limitations. I just don't think if that one thing is going to work for a guy like Daniel Bryan or Cesaro, I don't know if it's going to be there for Finn Balor. I'm just worried now with the crowd already kind of showing signs of being tired with the entrance and not popping or not getting heated during his actual matches. Uh, I I wonder uh, what the future is going to look like for Finn Balor if he ever goes outside of NXT and maybe, maybe he'll just be a lifer in NXT and maybe that's what he wants to be. Maybe that what that's what they want him to be. Who knows? And maybe that would work out just fine for him. Um, I've been putting this off for about a week now. We got a question from Twitter at Craig P Hadley asked Rob, given your refereeing past, who would you say were the best or most influential, uh, to you? And I wanted to ask this question with Dylan on the show too, because Dylan might have an answer as far as, uh, with his Southern wrestling roots who might've been influential on him, uh, staying with pro wrestling and being involved as he is. Um, but I'll give uh, my answers here. Um, uh, Current WWE referee Jason Ayers, who was on the independent scene as Jason Harding, uh, was a referee from from the Indianapolis area. Uh, he's from Indiana here, so we we did a couple of shows together, and then uh, I always I've stayed in touch with him forever. He's been highly influential uh, for the refereeing side. One of Dylan's big favorites, Congo Kong, who wrestled as Osiris when I first met him, uh, super influential and helpful. Very early when I first started refereeing. Uh, Congo Kong was uh, one of those good guys. And I would say Ian Rotten too, just because Ian Rotten gave me my most, uh, my highest stage uh, IWA Mid-South right at the tail end of when IWA Mid-South was a pretty big thing. You know, him just booking me on the shows. Uh, I only worked ECW Arena once, but it was on an Ian Rotten show. So I would say he was pretty helpful with refereeing but Dylan I wanted to I wanted to get you um especially on in the independent side or maybe current influences like who on the southern indie side influenced you to be as into pro wrestling as you are today
3: that is a very hard question but I I would say um I'm going to answer this two ways The one, what one, one way will be the, the the uh the person that probably influenced me the most um to get into that scene and the second will probably be the the most, the biggest influence currently, um, and probably the person most responsible for me uh, being such a big fan of it and and to some degree involved with it, sort of on the fringes, is actually Chris Hamrick. Uh, you know, when I would go to shows in in the Carolinas, um, you know, you'd see the a lot of the independent shows in my area were not particularly great in terms of quality, but I always knew if Chris Hamrick was on the show, that it was worth going to because he would do something in a match. That would be completely awesome. and was going to stand out. It was going to make it worth my while and worth me going to the show, no matter what the rest of the lineup looked like. He was always a super nice guy to me. Uh, still works hard to this day. So actually, Chris Hamrick, which is a name that maybe a lot of people don't even know, but he—he uh, he, to me—it it was a huge uh, influence on me, sort of getting into that scene and paying more attention to it years ago. I mean, twenty years ago, close to it anyway. Um, so uh, he would be sort of the first answer. But the, the second answer to that would actually be probably the an entire group of people affiliated with Empire Wrestling, uh, Empire Wrestling Entertainment in the Chattanooga area in Boston. Um, I, I just think that they do a great job with what they do as a promotion. I think um, uh, when I really started to go all in sort of obsessing about Southern Independent Wrestling and trying to um, pay more attention about it and talk to, about it more was when their matches and some of the things they were doing started to become more available online uh, over the course of the last several years. Uh, you know, they were the company that, that uh, hosted the Scenic City Invitational Tournament that I just went to a couple weeks ago, although they didn't actually, um, uh, they weren't promoters of record per se, but they hosted the event. So all the team there, which is uh, Drew Delight and his wife, and, and Andrew Alexander, the, the, the booker, and the people who do uh you know, sean tempers who was their champion forever all those guys have been a, a big influence on me uh in terms of uh sort of keeping my interest alive and making me want to do more to expose uh southern independent wrestling as a whole to a broader audience
0: very shout-
2: very good go ahead
0: i was gonna say shout out to confederate currency chris hammer
2: There you go. Chris Hamrick, indeed. Well, we will be – I want to thank Dylan, of course, for joining us for our post-SummerSlam discussion at Dylan Waco on Twitter. We will be back on Tuesday with Les Moore and Celia Bloom of Sheet Sandwich joining to talk about some of the coverage of the Divas Revolution this weekend and some of the differing uh, reviews of SummerSlam in general. We will be back on Tuesday with that. Follow our YouTube channel, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash YouTube for our post show coming up this week after that episode. And you can find all the ways to subscribe at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash STR. We're at Shake Them ropes on Twitter. Jeff is at CrapGame13 on Twitter. Dylan, thank you so much for joining us for this episode.
3: Thank you, guys. It was a wonderful birthday treat to appear on Shake Them Ropes tonight. Oh, happy birthday. Darren <laughs> Young is such a
2: nice guy. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> such a nice guy! Shake Them Ropes is a free weekly audio show where Jeff Hawkins and I, Rob McCarran, discuss the current happenings in WWE, NXT, and the world of pro wrestling. We also review the top 100 matches on WWE Network Weekly, and you can follow along to our countdown by following us on Twitter, at Shake Them Ropes. The website is VoicesOfWrestling.com and our email is Rob at VoicesOfWrestling.com Be sure to catch our weekly episode post shows on YouTube where Jeff and I answer Twitter questions and share information on future episodes. You can subscribe free at YouTube.com slash VoicesOfWrestling I encourage you to listen and discuss our shows on the Voices of Wrestling community forums free at VoicesOfWrestling.com and if you like our show we'd appreciate it if you shared it with others on your social media feeds. If you shop on Amazon and WWE Shop, you can help Shake Them Ropes by shopping on our affiliate link. The affiliate link is free, gets you to the website, and you pay no extra cost at all, and we get a small little kickback to support the show. Voicesofwrestling.com slash Amazon will get you to our Amazon page, and WWE Shop can be found at Voicesofwrestling.com slash WWE Shop. All the links will be in the podcast description, and you can get all our information on Twitter, at Shake Them Ropes. Here it comes again.